There have been so many guests on the podcast that I wish we could have gotten more one-on-one time with. Because when you really get to sit down and have that intimate experience, you learn so much more. And that's why we love our longtime partner, Masterclass. Because where else are you going to get one-on-one time with RuPaul? Teaching you how to be your most authentic self as if among friends. And if you were as fascinated as I was after Natalie Portman joined the show, maybe you wanted to go deeper. And her acting class on Masterclass lets you do just that. With their set of 180-plus world-class instructors, you're in good hands when you decide to set out on your next learning adventure. Plus, if it's not for you, they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. My favorite. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash hard things. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash hard things. Masterclass.com slash hard things. Okay, I have a surprise to tell you, honey. I booked us an Airbnb at the Thousand Islands with more space and privacy and we get to opt into my family. So near family, but not with family. Yes. You solved family near, but not with. (laughs) Thank you, Airbnb. (laughs) Have you ever thought about renting your place out? Like when you go away like that? Yeah, I have. There's some big events coming up in LA in the near future that I'm very excited that possibly we're going to do that for sure. When you really think about it, babe, it really is the perfect way to make some extra money when we're away from L.A., when you're just living somewhere, it's easy to forget that the place you live in is actually a travel destination others want to visit. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Airbnb.com slash host. Sister, you should rent your house, too. Welcome, Pod Squad. Today, we are delighted to tell you that we have the Allison Russell with us. After a career spent as a gifted multi-instrumentalist backing numerous other artists, she finally released her solo project in 2021. She made her Opry debut, appeared at the Country Music Hall of Fame, and performed at the 2022 Grammys premiere ceremony. She has been nominated for four Grammys. She has earned three Americana Awards. Her recent album, The Returner, is just, uh, it's a real experience. You've got to listen. Allison Russell, welcome to We Can Do Hard Things. Yay! So excited to talk to y'all. I was just listening to your incredible conversation with Andrea Gibson and me being my beautiful literary agent, Meg Thompson, sent it to me and just intuitively didn't know we were doing this, you know, and just sent Uh, it to me. No way. Yeah. She was like, you need to listen to this. It's going to change your life. (laughs) I will. will. Well, thank you for listening. And we've already started. So hi. Welcome you, Allison Russell. Wonderful to meet you all sort of officially. I remember seeing y'all and saying hi, kind of in a dark uh, green room at Red Rocks, but um, that was a while ago. I was thinking about that in preparation for this moment. I think that you and I, the first time we met, we were sitting on the floor in a huge green room, the back of Red Rocks eating In-N-Out. I think there was like (laughs) 400 boxes of In-N-Out burgers. It was backstage after a Brandy, Allison Russell, Sister Strings, everybody was there show. 
it was midnight and I was so proud of myself for being awake. And I was like, oh, this is what it's like behind the scenes at a rock star show, except that I don't think this is how it is at a rock star show because it was 500 cheeseburgers, <laughs> 500 ch- children. Yeah. There was the like- wolf pack. It was the wolf, yes. the feral wolf pack. My daughter was among them, Ida. <laughs> I know. Ida was next to you. Yeah. Eva, Kath, and Brandy's kids were running. Everybody's kids were running. All That's what it's like yes. behind the scenes at one of these shows. Yeah. Every, I, I kept being amazed by the um, love and family atmosphere and also by the fact that everyone was still awake. Yes. Because it was like yes. 1230. Wild, feral what? children so excited. They had all, you know, sung on stage and all the rest of it. But that is the magic that Brandy and Catherine create with their, you know, their beautiful love in of it's not just a show, it's a family and it's a foundation and it's making music mean more and it's uplifting everyone that comes into their magical orbit and circle, you know, that's just who they are. They're extraordinary. You know, I had to represent today. Yeah. My brandy shirt. Oh, (laughs) Allison's wearing a brandy shirt. I mean, I would, I think it would not be exaggerating to say that Brandy and Kath are two of the most important people in our entire lives. Yeah. They are. Same. And you're, same for you. Same, absolutely the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was that show, you know, that was actually our first concert, not only seeing you, but seeing Brandy live. Oh, I didn't know that. And it was <sighs> the first time that. that, you know, we, everybody who's not in the music industry has a, has a picture of what the behind the scenes looks like. Yeah. And we, at the time, were like kind of thinking like, what is Tish going to do? Is she going to go into this industry? It's very dangerous. There's a lot of drinking and drugging, the whole thing. And we get backstage at Red Rocks and it was totally not what we expected. Yeah. And so I don't know. I just think that, yes, Brandy and Kath, but also you to be able to like feel confident in them to bring your child with you on the road and to watch you perform. I mean, Allison, you are magic. Ah! You are fucking so magic. Sweet. <laughs> you guys are so sweet. Uh, means a lot to me. You're just, you're in our house all the time, yeah. oh Allison, gosh. just in every room. Your music is so beautiful. So speaking of Kath and Brandy, I read this story that made me giggle so much because it reminded me of my daughter and me. But I read a story that um, <laughs> Kath once overheard Ida so your daughter. And yeah. how old is Ida now? She's now nine. She'll be 10 at the end of December. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Ida was talking to Eva, who is uh, Brandy and Kath's daughter, about how either your mommies do the same thing, right? Because yeah. Allison and Brandy, both singers, artists. Yeah. And Ida said <laughs> to Eva, no, my mom doesn't do what your mom does. My mom just sings sad songs about her sad past. <laughs> That's exactly what she said. And Catherine was trying not to die laughing, you know, just trying to keep a straight face and with her sweet, you know, decorous. Oh, oh Ida, your mommy's got a lovely voice, you know, she just be so sweet. And, and Ida cuts her off like, yeah, my mom's got a good voice, but let's face it, she even makes jingle bells sound sad. Oh, 
It's so just that my kind favorite. Of put, that kind of put a bee in my bonnet to to write her some bangers for the night for the, for the return because <laughs> she was talking about outside child when she was saying that, and she has become my great greatest victory. You will appreciate this as moms was I was on the road and I got a call from my partner JT. And she, the new record had just dropped. The returner had just dropped and she's all about Spotify and, you know, listening to Tish, listening to Taylor Swift and Billie Eilish and everybody and um, Beyonce. And she, she walked by her room and she had the door closed as she often does when she's doing deep listening. And she was listening to Demons from the returner over and over again and learning the words and figuring out the chords on the piano and stuff so yeah it just that was such a triumph like she she likes one of the songs (laughs) god i just know that tish came to a couple of my speaking events a few years ago and we left and i was like how what did you think and she said to me i just i i don't understand why do you always have to start on the bathroom floor when you're addicted and you're pregnant and you're on drugs and you're so that's what I thought of when I heard your thing but okay Allison here's what I think is so cool and I don't know if you're gonna relate to this at all but when I hear that Ida says that to you it makes me feel like it's a beautiful thing because the reason why they are like oh that's sad is because sadness and pain is not the water that they swim in with us. Yes, exactly. So it feels like a difference to them. Yeah. Which is a triumph for us. It's a total triumph. It's breaking (laughs) miserable cycles for them in real time, in real life. And it's joyful and you're absolutely right. And it's also, they trust us enough to to tease us and to mock us and to know that there aren't going to be some sort of draconian repercussions for doing so. You know, they can oh. be their full selves and have some backbone and have some sass and and own it, you know, in this joyful way. I love it. I mean, I kind of almost oh. to a fault sort of love it when Ida's a bit like, yes, <laughs> a bit mouthy with everybody. I kind of love it. I'm like, she's so well, calm. I was so cowed my whole childhood, you know, and like crumpled yeah. in. So to see her having more backbone, you know, at, at three than I did at 30 is, is just joyful to me, you know? And for them Uh, to be able to tease, like for them to be able to tease us about the kind of reckoning that we are trying to have with our own pain, them being able to tease us is to also allow them space to be playful with their own pain. Oh yeah. You're so, you know, and I think that Like we were all, I'll speak for myself. I was shut off to not experience my own discomfort or pain out loud at all in my childhood. Yeah. And what kind of human beings are they going to be that they're going to be able to not only experience it, but also be able to laugh about it in some ways. I do think that that's the defining, I mean, the emotional intelligence of, of our young ones, you know, of the Gen Z's like Tish and the alphas like Ida and Eva and and Eli, I've just learned that they're called alphas. You know, if you, if you I born, didn't even know that. Yes, if you're born after 2012, you're an alpha. You're, you're <gasps> no longer cool. a Generation Z. You're the next whole cycle, you know, of the generations of humanity. You know, if we don't drive, if we don't drive ourselves to our mass extinction. Yeah. But I have hope because these young ones are so attuned and and open to each other 
Mm. listening Mm. to each other's emotions in a different way than I've ever, certainly not with my, you know, I'm an ancient, ancient millennial, uh, not in my generation. (laughs) My partner's an Xer, you know, not in that generation. They are wide open in this really, really special way that I think is required for um, the kind of level of crisis that we're currently facing, you know, that our our human family, our species is facing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So people often ask me, parents don't know what to share with their children. I'm Jenna X. Okay. So I'm like, wow. And a lot of, I think our generation was taught not to reveal any of our past pain to our kids. Yeah, We're supposed to hide it. We're supposed to, but what I love what you two are saying is, but when we do, what they learn is that we can survive yeah, and that it's not something to hide all the time. Yeah. And we can't hide it. It's impossible. We can't. When we try to hide it, it comes out in toxic ways. I think. Yes. Yes. And they know because they're unbelievably brilliant and they're empaths. And when we try to, I think that the message kids get, because they're getting a message. If our words are saying one thing, everything's fine. And our bodies are saying another thing, trauma. I think that they're thinking there's something wrong with me. Yeah. My mom's reacting that way because there's something wrong with me because yeah. we haven't said to them, no, 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 babe, it's just there's something yeah. wrong with me. Yeah. Can you talk to us, for people who don't know your story at all, tell us what you want to tell us about your childhood, the beginning. You have said that you don't think it's brave to talk about trauma. You just think it's part of survival. Yeah. Tell us what you want to tell us about your young life. Well, I was born and raised in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. My mom mm-hmm. is a Scottish Canadian and she met my biological father when they were in high school and they had a brief high school romance. And by the time uh, she realized she was pregnant, he was already back in Grenada. He had been studying in Canada from Grenada. And by the time her parents found out they were getting a divorce and she didn't have family support. So as a teenager who'd been quite sheltered, she wound up uh, having me sort of in a home for unwed mothers, kind of a version of the Magdalene laundries, I think, because mm-hmm. this is Catholic, Catholic Quebec in, I, mm-hmm. I was born in 79 and she was a white mother having a black child out of wedlock. You know, mm-hmm. we were called illegitimate children back then. And uh, it was a big, massive stigma to be an unwed mother. And um, she had a rough time of it. And by the time I was born, um, she had a social worker and a bit of a relationship with her mom, but, you know, was living in government housing and um, was just didn't have support. And back then, the trend in social work was to just remove a child at the first sign of trouble and put them in foster care. Now it's understood that social services try very hard to keep a child within a family if it's at all possible and to to offer aid and try any number of things before they just remove the child. But in my mom's case, she didn't have anyone really advocating for her. And she had pretty severe postpartum depression after I was born. And I believe probably her first psychotic break, my mom has suffered with quite severe paranoid schizophrenia for most of her adult life. And it was, went undiagnosed and then misdiagnosed as manic depression for many, many years, uh, which did not help. And she struggled with substances and going on and off of medication, which has not helped. And she was very, very young when she had me. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've been reading about is the effect that it has for, for very young people when they become 
parents when they're not ready, mm-hmm. that it can kind of cause an arrested development. So mm-hmm. I've always thought of my mom more like my big sister, really, than mm-hmm. my mom. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up being removed from her care in very early childhood when I wasn't quite two yet uh, because she was doing harmful things because of you know the depth of psychosis and despair mm-hmm. that she was in and lack of support. And so when I was removed from her care, it was under something called Child Protective Services in Quebec, mm-hmm. which means that the parent, if they want to get the child back, they have to go to court and prove their fitness uh, to, to be parenting again. And so whilst I was there, she was groomed and courted by a much, much older uh, predatory man, uh, an American expat who was born in 1936 in a sundown town um, somewhere in Indiana. And um, he brought uh, the abuses that he had suffered, both ideological and physical, with him. I believe it's ideological abuse to raise children you know, with violent indoctrination into white supremacy, any kind of supremacy beliefs. And um, so he brought all that with him, you know, when he came to Montreal and he courted my mother and he went to court and got me back from child protective services after he married my mom and eventually adopted me and was my primary caregiver and a primary abuser for over a decade until I ran away from home at 15. Mm-hmm. So the beginnings were fairly miserable, but I was very lucky because I was in Montreal, which is a city that is defined by art and defined mm-hmm. by Bohemian community and has 24 hour cafes and has one of the most beautiful cemeteries I've ever seen in the world where I you know, felt safe on summer nights sleeping there sometimes after I left home. You know, I felt safer sleeping in the cemetery than I did in the home of the people that mm-hmm. called themselves my family at that time. So um, I was very lucky and I went to an alternative high school mind moving in new directions. And I met some of my best friends in this world to this day at that alternative high school. Mm-hmm. And um, that just, you know, I, I slowly found chosen family and met my first love uh, who I is that call Persephone, Persephone to per- to protect your you know their privacy and, and oh identity damn it now. that's not her real name <laughs> it's not her real name it's not oh. her real name but it was always how I thought of her because I would crawl in through her basement window and I yes. was you know the nerdy kid that was into Greek mythology and every kind of <laughs> mythology and I thought I always felt like it was like a reverse thing where going underground going to Hades was this like sheltering thing you know it was the most it was the safest Ah. I ever felt was when we fell in love and I would sneak in through her basement window because her parents would have had a heart attack if they realized the nature of our relationship and Mm -hmm. we we were both babies we're just 15 years old each of us you know and just learning what it meant to be loved consensually and to be thought beautiful and equal and worthy and all of those things it's an odd thing to be a black child raised in a white supremacist abusive family because there's physical abuse and your your body eventually heals from from that kind of abuse generally but the it's of course it's always the psychological abuse that's more insidious it's the colonizing of our minds and i think we're all decolonizing our minds all the time because we've been raised in these toxic systems of of hierarchy 
Experiences are what people love the most about travel. It's true. You don't go somewhere new and exotic just to be there. You go to do things, be it a historical walking tour, zip lining through the trees, or guided tours through museums. Like the hassle-free self-guided audio tour our family took through Versailles. If you're planning a trip and really want to make the most out of your time, I recommend you check out Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences from simple tours to extreme adventures. And there's something for everyone in over 190 countries. Thrill rides, spooky ghost tours, secret food guides, exploration off the beaten path. It's all there, along with millions of real traveler reviews, 24-7 customer service, various payment options, and flexibility and support with free cancellation. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Take us back to 15 because the Persephone song, it's so sad, but it's so also joyful and beautiful. Abby and I as queer women are just like, yes. I mean, it's just, there's something about it that's so universal to the queer experience also while being incredibly personal to you about just finding safety. I love that you hear the joy in it because Mm -hmm. I was quite startled when I realized that a lot of people did hear it as traumatic in some way because because I'm explicit in the beginning about what I'm running mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's such a joyful song. It's first love, it's sexual reclamation and awakening. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had never experienced anything consensual in my life up to then. I'd never experienced someone really truly loving me as an equal. And um, that was tra- completely, not just transformative, it was really truly life-saving and joyful and realizing that sex could be joyful and not some sort of torture was completely shocking and, and incredible. And, you know, all the things that it is for people who hopefully haven't been messed with, but is in some ways even more intense for people who have, you know? Mm-hmm. I I felt that deep Mm. in my bones when we listened to that song. It's like every teenage queer kid who has been trying to fit into this one box their whole lives or stuffed into certain boxes. And then there's like the tap, tap, tapping on your window screen. (laughs) To me, like I'm a romantic at heart. I just remember that first like experience with my first girlfriend. And I mean, that visual is like, yes. It made all of the confusion and pain and and angst. I was like, oh, got it. I love that so much. This feels so good. The skinny arms get me. The skinny arms get me. I don't know why. I know, you know, this is kids. This is, we're kids still, you know, really. Oh, little ones. We're growing yeah. up together and learning mm-hmm. about love together and listening to Ani DeFranco and Tracy Chapman and the Indigo Girls together, you know. Of course. Sinead O'Connor, you know, all oh. of it. Like Bjork. Oh my gosh. Okay. I need Bjork. to talk about Sinead O'Connor for a second. That's uh, amazing. I actually have this on my list of things to talk about, okay? Because I... 
personally had what might be considered to some people an outsized reaction to Sinead's death and the public reaction to Sinead's death. I, my therapist actually said to me, <laughs> I don't know if there's anyone in the country who's talking to their therapist about Sinead O'Connor who doesn't know Sinead O'Connor as much as you are. Like we might have to wonder if what we're really talking about is you, Lennon, okay? <laughs> I felt connected to you the day because I felt like you were saying on Twitter some of the things I was feeling. Like I was so pissed that people, first of all, were celebrating her after she died who were not at all when she was alive, but also this repeated refrain of, well, she really battled her own demons. Yeah. Yeah. I love your demon song. And I just feel like demons should be something that if you're talking about them, they should only be yours. You should not be talking about somebody else's demons who didn't claim them as demons because actually what Sinead was always doing was fighting real demons Correct. outside of her. Correct. Not I remember inside your of her. Tweet. I remember your tweet that day and I remember reposting it and being like, that is exactly it. She was fighting real demons, real demonic behavior. You know, I don't believe any human is truly a monster, but there are people who behave thoroughly monstrously and never stop, you know? Yes, and yes. And what the Catholic Church has done and continues to do. There's still a residential school for indigenous kids open in the Dakotas. Like that I mean. hasn't stopped yet. And across Canada, we are digging up mass graves of mm-hmm. indigenous children, thousands and thousands of unmarked graves. And this was done by the Catholic Church and the Canadian government mm-hmm. and the settlers, all of us, you know, my ancestors too. Yeah. And people who are talking about yeah. it, people who like Sinead, Sinead was right. By she the was way, right. The whole time. She was right about she everything. She was right. She was right about everything. Glenn, it's, it's so interesting you say this because, you know, my circle of close women and actually someone I hadn't known well until Joni Jam, who I met mm-hmm. at Joni Jam, who was Annie Lennox, mm-hmm. we ended up texting each other back and forth, just Sinead deep cuts back and forth Mm. and different things she had said and talking about, I mean, I was on the floor. I was supposed Mm. to fly to Prague and do a a video for demons actually with my incredible childhood friend, Ethan Tobman, who is the creative director for the Eras tour and is a total superstar and Mm -hmm. was the set designer for like formation and the lemonade, those amazing lemonade movies, brilliant visual artist, a big part of it there are moving through different worlds and it's basically like rebirthing oneself, reclaiming oneself Mm. over and over again, calling oneself to courage in, in this visual narrative to accompany the words and the music. And, um, and a lot of it was to do with hair. And, but I was on the floor and to the point where I just wanted to shave my head and, Mm. and not leave Mm. the hotel room where I was in New York ever again. You know, I just wanted to mourn in, in a, in a physical, like I wanted to do something physical, like rend yeah. something on myself. Ritual scarification. I had to be talked down, you know, by Ethan. He's like, well, we're doing this video that involves black women's hair. So if you could wait till after that to do this, you know, he talked me down and my partner JT talked me down. And, and it's funny that your therapist said that to you because JT said to me, could this be something about <laughs> you and not Sinead at all because you never met her, right? You actually, you, right? Like we're, no. oh. but I, but 
I no. did. She's part of my survival. When she made her stand in 92, it wasn't about ripping up the Pope's picture. It was about si- singing Bob Marley's war mm. acapella, essentially, mm-hmm. and, and making it about child abuse and saying that and naming that on the yes. biggest TV show of the day. And mm-hmm. I was, I think, 12 when she took that stand. I don't know that I would have gathered up the courage to run from my situation. I might have just simply died in my situation had it not been for these truth tellers, you know, who showed me that there is a life beyond abuse and that there are powerful women who stand up to abuse and that maybe I could be like them, like Tracy Chapman, who sang behind the wall, like Sinead Mm O'Connor, who sang war and made it about child abuse, like Tori Amos, who sang Barbados, me in a gun and a man on my back, but I haven't seen Barbados. So I must get out of this. These were my path lighters that showed me it was possible to to survive and thrive and get and get out of this, right? Yeah. Yeah, and it just felt like all of those women are pointing out demons in our world, in like our wor- homophobia, demons. racism, greed that kills, religion that that says it's one thing and then abuses children. And then we are calling that person who's saying those things crazy. Yeah. And then everything that they said, and these are often women, everything that they're said is proven right, but the world has already done its damage to that woman. And then the woman dies and we saint her. While having villainized her there her whole life, instead of even just like pretending to honor that woman after death, we should just try to honor the next inconvenient prophet in real yes. time. Yes, but exactly. we won't do that. We won't exactly. do that. We'll villainize them again and then saint them again after death. So I think it is about Sinead. It is about Tori. It is about all these people individually. Yeah. It is about Tracy. Tracy, but it's also about this rhythm, this pattern we see happening over yeah. and over again to women. Well, I mean, and it's out. been going on since the witch burnings. Right? Exactly. And, and I'm sure before it's, it's the martyring of women. It's the demonizing, mm-hmm. literally. Demon- yes. They're, they're witches. They sleep with the devil. Like it's literally demonizing. Yes. Powerful women, strong yeah. women, healers, mm-hmm. you know. And it's also like calling, you know, Sinead, her abuse as a child and then she had PTSD, right? But like to call PTSD a demon is so fucking insane. That is a bodily, physical yeah. reaction to something that the world has done to a person. Correct. Correct. Right? It's yeah. something that the world has done to us, yeah. uh, an inner demon. And yeah. also when we label other people that, yeah. that's archaic religious language that has excused people for, yes, exactly. which Yeah, exactly. For so long. So we have to stop that shit. One of life's most prevalent paradoxes that I often note is a closet full of clothes, but nothing to wear. But people who say that about their closet haven't shopped at Quince. I'll put my money on that. Quince is my and soon to be your go-to for high quality yet affordable luxury essentials from organic cotton to washable silk and sparkling jewelry. I am currently obsessed with all of their belt bags. Do you know this? They're the kind of bags that you can sling over the front of you, the kind that are actually like attached to a belt around your waist. And there's even like nylon ones that I've bought. They are under 30 bucks and they are really good for active wear and also hands-free. This is what I'm talking about. The new bag of the future is hands-free 
and they are super inexpensive at Quince. Love them. Check them out. The best part is Quince works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, which not only helps us trust the quality and origin of the pieces, but also cuts out unnecessary extra costs and allows us to bask in the savings. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash hard things for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash hard things to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash hard things. What's the first moment that you felt like I am a, a child who survived being raised by a white supremacist, psychological, sexual, physical abuser to becoming what you are now, which I guess you're both things at all, at all the time. But how did you fucking do this? Yeah. <laughs> because my, question. My, bro- my little brother and my niece and nephew and a number and music, of course, art, mm-hmm. of course, the, the magic and the mystery of art, even with my mom, even though we had a deeply troubled and have a deeply troubled relationship, I was able to feel love through listening to her music. Like one of my earliest mm-hmm. childhood memories um, was, I think I was on a visit from the foster home because I would have week, weekend visits with her. I can't, I can't remember if it was every weekend, maybe it was every other weekend, but she wasn't allowed to be alone with me. So we would go to my grandmother's apartment and she had this gorgeous upright piano um, with the kind of like very Victorian curvy legs of the piano sort of curlicued. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting under there and watching my mom's feet on the piano and she was playing along. Actually, Joni Mitchell is her favorite artist, you know, been oh. listening to Joni since I was in utero with my mom. No way. Um, and she was playing along to Ladies of the Canyon and it, uh, a deeper cut, a song called For Free, um, which is Joni singing about a busker and, and how nobody's paying attention because they're not famous. And mm. she's off stroking the star maker machinery, but really she just wants to go jam with this this beautiful musician who's playing clarinet on the street for free. You know, I slept last night in a good hotel when shopping today for juice. The wind rushed around in the dirty town. Children let out from the school. This gorgeous melody. And at the end, there's this beautiful clarinet solo as she's, you know, I heard his refrain as the signal changed. He was playing real good for free. And she crosses the street and goes on with her life. And then this beautiful clarinet solo comes out of it. And I remember my mom singing along and hearing the sound of the clarinet for the first time and being like, like electrified by that sound. Like, what mm. is that sound? You know? And my mom, I, I remember asking later, what was that? And she said, it's clarinet, oh. you know, that, that was the clarinet. And that imprinted on me. And then all at the, and the mystery and the magic of all those, you know, full circle later of being invited by Brandy into the, the magical circle of the Joni jam, you know, and playing clarinet on stage with Joni and having her and say, what did she Alice say to you, Russell, Alice Russell? The, the most beautiful clarinet player ever, you know, just this sweet <laughs> hyperbolic thing she said. So just in case you didn't hear it, Pod Squad, what happened is <laughs> under the piano she's holding Joni. Okay. Then she hears the clarinet. <laughs> Fast forward to she's on stage at the Gorge, was it? It was the Gorge. With Joni Mitchell. 
and playing the clarinet. And yeah. Joni Mitchell says, Alison Russell, the most beautiful clarinet player I've ever heard. It was something that the most beautiful clarinet something player like ever. You know, she did, it was just like a sweet, she demanded that I take a solo during Young at Heart. And you just, Joni asked you to do something, you do it. Yes. And, and try not to mess it up, you know. <laughs> it was so, it was just such a sweet, surreal moment. And when you say, how do you get from there to there? Well, it's all of it all at once because yes. we're, we're always still, I'm still that little girl that, loved just that sound and imprinted on me. And I was always, I feel like in some ways, I think we all have a birthright. Every human on the planet living now, we are the the improbability of, of us being who we are in this time. The fact that we come from, no matter what our heritage, what our lineage what our set of challenges or privileges, we all come from long lines of survivors. And that is our human birthright is this resilience. I was very moved in by a theme in The Returner, which feels very much like part of my recovery, which is it feels like this big love story to embodiment. Nailed it. And I don't know if it's just because whatever I'm doing feels like everyone's talking about that. But can you talk a little bit about this song, um, All Without Within? Yes, I love it. Oh my God. That's by far the sexiest song on the record. Oh my Um, God, I fucking love that song. And that's Wendy and Lisa, y'all, singing with me. And they joined us, our Rainbow Coalition of Chosen Family um, that... We've been growing together over the last two years. We made The Returner in six days. And it was over, it was 15 women and one non-binary identifying, gender expansive, amazing, divine being. And three chosen brothers, 10 songs, six days. And we recorded it in LA at the old A&M studio, um, which is now Henson Studio, presided over by Kermit the Frog, which gave me a lot of joy. It means uh, a lot to you, (laughs) yes. And so that is in fact where... Joni recorded Blue and Burton oh, Spark. No it's where Carol King recorded Tapestry. It's where they did We Are the World, We Are the Children with Tina Turner and Cindy Lauper blowing the, the roof off the place. And, yes. You know, it's Shaka's made records. The good ghosts in that place mm. are just outrageous. So it was like a family affair all around. Mm. You can't make a record in six days without having complete trust with everyone that you're engaged in creative communion with. It's a trust fall exercise basically. And, and it only works if everybody lets go and jumps together, you know, and falls together. You can feel that. You can feel that in terms of healing, because the first album ends with, I think, where are all the joyful motherfuckers, which is, which it (laughs) feels like the the joyful motherfuckers. motherfuckers, Right. (laughs) And it feels like you could play your records back to back and it would be like where are they and then the returners like here they are <laughs> I love here's that, all the I joyful motherfuckers picked up on that because that's exactly right because this is the kind of nerd I am I am obsessed with multi-volume uh, journeys in literature yes, me too. and yes, in music me too. Mm-hmm. and for me an album is a journey like I feel about an album the way some people feel about a film I understand and I accept that the vast majority of people 
will be streaming and they will never listen to the record in the very deeply nerdy exact order that we agonized over. Yeah, exactly. And, it's and annoying. And planned over. But when people do, it's the greatest thing ever. I will say that to anyone listening, and some of you may have never taken a journey with a record, and I understand that and I don't condemn at all, but... I promise you, if you do take the journey with an album that was written in that way, because not everybody wants to make albums in that way anymore, mm-hmm. actually, right? And and some mm-hmm. artists never did. Some artists were always more single-driven. But for nerds like me and Brandy Carlisle, for example, and Joni Mitchell and Prince and Tracy Chapman and the Indigo Girls, if you take the entire, and Odetta, if you take, and Mavis Staples, if you take the entire <laughs> journey with the record, it is so much more rewarding when you have yeah. the time, because I also know how precious time is. It's so difficult for someone to sit down for 45 minutes and and do nothing, so to speak, right? Of course, you're yeah. doing something very active when you're listening, but I know mm-hmm. it's hard for us to justify those, those taking that time in our busy lives. But I, not only is The Returner its own narrative arc, although not linear, um, it is connected to Outside Child but anyone can take the journey with either album, but they are in fact, Outside Child is volume one, broadly the past. The Returner is volume two. It's the present, it's re-embodiment. Yeah. It's stealing joy from the teeth of turmoil. It's loving on your people who love you back. It's loving on the people that don't love you back, but not allowing them to derail your joy. And it is just being here now. Okay, yeah. two more things. <laughs> You fall in love with JT. What a love bug. Everyone the greatest. who meets JT is in love with JT. Don't get Catherine Carlisle started on JT. <laughs> but, uh, they have they have the most beautiful friendship. I love their friendship. I can tell. I had this secret like idea of when women are queer women and then they marry men. I wonder if they just want to wear like flags all day, every day to signal to the world I'm still queer. And then I swear to God, Allison is wearing a rainbow wristband. And I'm like, maybe they do. Because you my want power to say- wristband. It's my anti-bigotry wristband. Yes. <laughs> I wear it on stage and it makes me feel strong. As I live in Tennessee now, y'all. We're battling some medieval stuff over here. So, But we're winning. Well, this is- and Gloria Johnson is our next senator. Just putting that out there. This is airing before election day. On Incredible. Okay, we have Incredible. Allison Russell Everybody here. get to the polls. Why should Tennessee show up for Gloria Johnson? Because Tell us that. she is who... She says she is. She has been showing up for community since she was a teacher, as a representative. She's risking her seat as a representative. She is a shoe-in to win again Mm. for Knoxville as a representative in the House. But we are in a crisis situation in Tennessee. We have essentially a a hijacked people's house here. Mm -hmm. Only 32% of registered voters voted this so-called so-called GOP, so-called supermajority. I say so-called because they're not behaving in any way like small government Republicans, which is what Mm -hmm. I used to think the GOP was. Mm -hmm. Here in Tennessee, we have bad actors in office trying to Mm -hmm. unlawfully expel lawmakers because they are young and Black and standing up for their constituents, like Brother Justin Jones, Representative Jones and Representative Pearson. Representative Jones from right here in my riding in uh, 52nd district here in Nashville. 
and Representative Pearson from Memphis. They tried to expel Gloria too, but she pointed out since she was a white woman, one of the uh, openly racist Republicans, you know, allowed her to stay with one vote. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and of course, both Representative Jones and Representative Pearson were reelected by a landslide. Mm-hmm. And they've become known now nationally as the Tennessee Three because they were standing yeah. up for our kids, for our community, for all Tennesseans, demanding a sensible response, any response to the carnage of gun violence. I have thought of you so much in your activism for sensible gun reform. When I think about your story and about being a kid where school was your safe place, I was a teacher. And so I know that my classroom for a lot of little ones was the only safe place that they had. Correct. They came to school for safety. They did not go home for safety. They came to school for safety. It was the one sanctuary that they had. And so when I think now about how that is not even true anymore for children, school was a a sanctuary for you, correct? It was a complete sanctuary. And you have touched upon something here that I've been trying to explain to people and to explain to people back home in Canada who keep asking, when are you coming home? You know, when the next wave of legislative terrorism rocks us here in Tennessee. And I just tell them we can't, I can't show my daughter that I'm running away from fascism. We don't run away mm. from fascism. We stop mm. it. We surround it with love and we overwhelm it and we vote it out. That's what we do mm. because we still do have a democracy. And when I think about exactly what you said, Glennon, of that my child, I've been able to break cycles of abuse in our home, in our personal lives. And yet my daughter wakes from nightmares, has a lot of the trauma responses that I experienced from my abusive home as a child. In her case, it is from fear of being shot to death at school. It is from the active shooter drill where they didn't tell the kids or the teachers that it was a drill because they've determined they'll save more children when, not if, an active shooter gets into the building. When, because for almost three years now, the number one cause of untimely death for our babies, for our children and youth is gun violence, Mm -hmm. you know? And to have blanket inaction here in Tennessee where we just lost six beautiful humans in our community at the Covenant School, Mm -hmm. we watched the absolute grotesque mockery of a special session where these lawmakers who claim to care about families and family values mocked covenant moms. The school was called Covenant where where Mm -hmm. this horrific gun violence took place. Mocking those moms. These are women who are white, Christian, seemingly straight. Most of them have (laughs) voted Republican their whole lives. These are who they're supposed to actually care about, right? And they were mocking them, saying the most Mm -hmm. horrific, I mean, it can't be unseen. Right. And as awful as that is, what I have realized and why it is so important that people vote, because that does not represent Tennessee. Mm -hmm. There are people who are having their religious beliefs manipulated to fear their neighbors that they don't have to fear. They don't need to fear drag queen story time. If they don't like drag queen story time, they don't have to go. But 
they don't need to fear it. holiday season may be at its end. Thank you, baby Jesus. But the opportunities for giving amazing life-changing gifts have just begun. And yes, diapers are a life-changing gift. Imagine your first-time parent struggling with time management and financial burdens. Don't really have to imagine. I remember it directly. And all the challenges of your first child. And then you get a huge shipment of diapers funded by all your family and friends. That's a good feeling. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's exactly what Pampers is doing with their diaper stash. I love this so much. It's an online diaper fund. So you can contribute to a diaper stockpile and help ensure it never runs out. And one of the most difficult things about buying diapers for others is making sure that you guess the right fits and sizes. And with Pampers Diaper Fund, all that guesswork goes away. So if there's a new parent or expecting parent in your life, you will be making their lives a lot easier and showing them how many people are excited for their huge milestone. Organizing a diaper stash is easy. Go to diaperstash.pampers.com to set up a fund and give the ultimate group gift. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. must be so interesting for you as a child who was raised and abused by a white supremacist steeped in all of this shit. Yep. Saved by a queer girl. Yep. To now be fighting religion, claiming that the queer people are the ones who are abusing. It yeah. all goes back to Sinead O'Connor. It all it goes all back goes to this back. thing. And it's the same. It is the same projection yes. and demonizing of the actual freedom mm-hmm. fighters, truth tellers, prophets in our time. That's and right. And Gloria is a truth teller. She is exactly who she says she is. I've been lucky enough to know her for about three years now. I met her actually through the music world because she just shows up in the community. She shows up to concerts. Mm. She shows up to volunteer drives. You see her at the supermarket, you see her in the park. And I think probably on some level, the last thing she wanted to do was have to run for Senator, but she's doing it for all Tennesseans. As we end here, as someone who is, is healing through re-embodiment, through yeah. landing in my body for the first time to feeling everything that is without finally within yeah. to understanding like feeling a touch or feeling even hunger or feeling rain as like a freaking resurrection. Yeah. Like just experiencing life in my body for the first time. I have so many friends who don't get to, or don't feel yet like they can have that returner experience because of trauma, because of abuse, because all of that is what's in their body. Yeah. And disassociation has been their survival mechanism for their whole lives because you have so much trauma in your background and you are experiencing, I, through your music, it feels very much like you're experiencing re-embodiment as healing. How? (laughs) Well, for me, I think it took a long time and motherhood helped vastly in my case. That was the first time I ever loved my body. 
was mm. when I got, and I was ter- I never thought I would be a mother. Never, never, never. Certainly never thought I would bear a child. You know, maybe if I fell in love with a woman who had a child or, you know, I could do that or, but I never thought I would physically do that. And Ida was a miracle. You know, I was on birth control. She's a birth control pill baby. Yeah, I was on birth control pills for seven years and they never failed me. And I never skipped one either. Anyone listening with a uterus, (laughs) birth control pills are not a hundred percent. They are mm-hmm. 99.999 and Ida's that point zero 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 one 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 what have you. Mm-hmm. And it was shocking at first. You know, JT and I had been together for seven years at that point. And I was just so terrified of paying for it any of what I lived. And I felt that somehow I would be doomed to do that. But because JT is so stable and has such a strong, gorgeous inner goddess and a beautiful, happy family that's not abusive... I just thought, well, if I'm completely undone by this, I know that he will be there for this Mm. child. Mm. And it was the most miraculous thing of all of the kind of self um, evisceration that I was in the habit of doing, of just continually being cruel to myself because that's what I was used to, you know? Mm. And I've talked about this with a lot of other survivors And I feel like, you know, an eating disorder is just part two of after you've been sexually abused like that. It just Mm -hmm. inevitably follows. And, you know, so I had done, i had had various disordered eating patterns my whole life. It all just stopped when I was pregnant with Ida. It was like this miracle of happy Mm -hmm. endorphins and a flood of oxytocin and joyful feelings, you know, and love Mm -hmm. for this little alien that was was growing and also fascination, but I felt connected. It was like my mitochondria woke up and said, hey, hey, you're part of this unbroken line of badass bitches who just make life on earth. Like, you're, you're fine. You know, you're fine. You're okay. Mm. And that was the beginning that has helped me move through some of the trauma in my body, dancing, hmm. playing music, being in community with other women has been so important for me. Yeah. These women that I feel safe with when I was... 16, I moved in with, I ran away from home at 15 and was kind of, you know, itinerant and hiding in Persephone's basement and the cemetery and the staying up all night at the Croissant Royale en Saint Laurent playing chess with the old guys or, you know, going and hiding out in the Marie-Reine du Monde's uh, cathedral, little cathedral that was close to my alternative high school that was across the street from McGill and, and going there in the winter and sitting in a pew and, you know, falling asleep and, But when I was 16, I got this terrible, terrible marketing job. And I moved in with three other women that I went to high school with who are my dear, beloved friends to this day. Um, Allie and Siobhan and Kim and and our friends and all of our other, you know, friends just learning how to live in the world uh, would would come by. And we called the apartment the womb, you know, and it was, that Mm. was such a healing time. They were the first people other than Persephone that I disclosed to, you know, they, mm. we just learned so much from each other. What love feels yeah. like. What love To feel loved. Like. We, we did that for each other. We became, you Ugh. know, and I think that, that is such a universally, I think for everyone I know who identifies in any way as queer has had a version of that mm-hmm. where you, you at some except for the very, very, very lucky few who were fully, fully accepted 
by their families, but I don't, I don't know many people who identify as queer, who are fully accepted by their families in those developmental years. We and know a couple, but they're our children. Yeah, they're our children. Exactly. <laughs> this generate, I'm, uh, I should say that caveat of, uh, you know, people over 30 now, you know? Right. And right. It, that, I, and isn't that beautiful? Because we're healing, like, mm. again, it goes back to breaking these cycles of trauma. Well, Pod Squad, if you are in need of a beginning of, of returning to your body, I do recommend Allison's latest album, The Returner. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's an anthem to that, to that reclamation of being here now, yeah. of feeling, of knowing that you also have the right, yeah. the God-given birthright of experiencing joy and love and peace inside yeah. your body. In this brief corporeal experience. Yes. And I think about what Andrea Gibson was talking about, how brief it is. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty. And we, yeah. we, I won't say waste so much time, but we are embroiled for so much of our lives. I think so many of us in not feeling okay in our bodies yeah. or needing to escape our bodies and yeah. the joy of returning to our bodies and accepting all of the pain and the scars and the the history written there is beautiful. Who fooled us into thinking that the unmarked page was more beautiful? You know? Yeah. Like, oh, who that's did that? so beautiful. You know? I just want to say, I am stunned by your music. I'm stunned at just how profound you are. I just am so grateful to know you. I'm so grateful that our Tishy got to eat dinner with you. She is incredible. Y'all, if you don't have Tish's new singles, you got to get it. It's so beautiful. Produced by our beautiful Brandy Carlisle as well. Yeah. Well, she came home and said, after that weekend in Nashville, (sighs) I said, so tell me your favorite part. And I thought she was going to say the red carpet or whatever. And she said, I think my favorite part was talking to Allison at dinner. Oh. Oh, it's like that's oh, the, that's, baby. that's the best award I'll ever be given. Are you kidding? <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, we, we love, love you, you, Allison Russell. We will see you backstage next time with some burgers and fries and Ida and Tish and um, you. Just keep going. We're in oh, your corner forever. I love y'all. I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me today. Same, same, same. Mwah. Bye, Pod Squad. See you next time. Bye, Bye Pod Squad. If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to us if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do these three things. First, can you please follow or subscribe to We Can Do Hard Things? Following the pod helps you because you'll never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. To do this, just go to the We Can Do Hard Things show page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and then just tap the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner or click on follow. This is the most important thing for the pod. While you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and review and share an episode you loved with a friend, we would be so grateful. We appreciate you very much. We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. I love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. 
it makes me feel free and like I can get my stuff done while being where I want to be. So I can take video calls from the park or download podcasts to listen to while I walk Seamus. And working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile's. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. So you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need. They also cover more highway miles with 5G than anyone else. You can stream and download your favorite entertainment, check hotel reviews, and make restaurant reservations. And with all that coverage, you can stay connected to the people you care about most. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds, according to analysis by Ookla of Speedtest Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Pod Squad, some of what we share with you on the show are our individual unique experiences in therapy and the takeaways that help us grow, appreciate each other, and navigate this beautiful life we're doing together. Thank you for doing it with us. But the things we talk about in therapy itself, these are things we wouldn't necessarily share with just anyone. I think there are a few things more important than finding the right person to share your deepest thoughts, feelings, and questions with, like a therapist. That's why we are thrilled about Alma's support of our show. They're big believers that you need the right someone to talk to, not just anyone, Alma helps you to find a therapist who gets you based on your needs, someone with whom you'll feel comfortable, heard, secure. Plus, and this shouldn't be overlooked, over 96% of therapists at Alma accept insurance because you want to pick someone based on the right fit, not just based on finances. You can browse their directory now. You don't even need to create an account. Visit helloalma.com slash hard things to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash hard things.